who is who's the grizzled old guy? The actor. I'm drawing a blank on his name, but he's been in every movie. Dude, I thought you were gonna say. I thought you were gonna say, "Who's the grizzled old guy on this Zoom call?" People <laughs> talking about me. That's the way my brain works. When you started that, I was like, that oh, Santa Claus looking telling me that I look old in this Santa fucking hat." God damn it, Johnny! You motherfucker. Welcome to the Lone Star Play Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. Join me and a famous guest. We discuss their career, life, food, Texas, and everything in between. Let's get started. The Lone Star Play Podcast is produced by TexasRealFood.com. Find out more at the end of this episode. Hi, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Lone Star Play Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. We have another great episode, as always, our ever-present friend. Ever-present? That doesn't make sense. Our friend comes on the podcast a lot, right? Um, our long-lost friend. Not even long-lost. I'm getting lost on what I'm saying. Let's focus on the episode at hand here, okay? Look, we have Bob Schneider in the house again with Johnny Gowdy. Love these two guys, okay? Johnny, I, I don't know why I haven't had him on more, to be honest with you. Had him on at the very beginning of the podcast. I'm an idiot, okay? This guy's great. He also has a podcast called How Did I Get Here, okay? Great podcast. Honestly, it's like such a great catalog. I, over a thousand episodes, it's insane, okay? Such a, such a great catalog of just local Texas musicians, okay? He's based out of Austin, um, I've been on it a couple times myself, um, and it's just a great show that he does out of his living room. Obviously, with the pandemic, that changed, but whatever. Anyway, he's got this great podcast. Check it out. How did I get here? Um, the Austin Awards, some sort of Austin Awards or something, named him like the Mark Marin of of Austin, you know, Texas podcast, because he's been doing it so long, you know, before it was a trend, he was doing it, so... Anyway, check it out. How did I get here? He's also in a lot of different bands, um, Skyrocket and some other different, he performs himself. So please check out Johnny Gowdy. Uh, he's a great guy. And we talked about the Beatles documentary, Texas music. We did a little like Austin uh, trivia. That was fun. Um, and then Bob Schneider joined us. That's right. Um, and then we all three talked. That was very cool. We just talked. We talked more about the Beatles documentary. That's a big theme in this podcast, I would say. We really break down the Beatles documentary. And it's great to get the perspective of Bob Schneider as a musician, right? And Johnny Gowdy as a musician. And they even have connections, which you'll hear about more in the episode, which is great. Um, and then Johnny has to go. Because this is a long episode, y'all. So I'm, you know, this is a really long episode. You know, might have cut a couple parts out just to, you know, get this to a nice little time. But uh, it's it's a long episode. But but you know, hang in there. It's great. You can listen to it in parts if you want. We're definitely gonna break break it down in clips on YouTube. And you know, I don't even care if this intro is long. Does it really matter? I I feel like <laughs> it doesn't matter. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up right now. So anyway. Uh, Bob Schneider joins us and then, you know, Johnny leaves and then it's just Bob and I, you know, as always. And uh, that's another great conversation. Again, the Beatles documentary is really a nice theme uh, through, you know, what we're talking about in the episode. Um, and they they both have just great insight about songwriting and, you know, their vision of what that looks like to the Beatles. And it's great. So anyway, and Bob, you know, talks about some shows he's got coming up, um, you know, for the end of the year that are really great. Um, the new year's show, um, which is going to be popping. That's on like every top to do list in Austin is, you know, Bob's show he's having at the paramount. So anyway, um, sort of an annual show he does. So anyway, let's get to the show before we do a quick word from our sponsor, um, Texas real food. And then, you know, we'll get to this. Hi, I'm here to tell you about TexasRealFood.com. It's a great website where you can find local farm fresh food in Texas. Just enter your zip code, okay? It'll bring up Texas farms and ranches, farmers markets, farm to table restaurants, and more that are around you. It's really easy to use. Also, if you think there's a business that should be on the list that isn't on there, let us know. We'll get them added. 
as well as being able to enter your zip code and find all the great places around you. We also have great recipes, cooking techniques. You can learn about food and Texas food specifically um, and local food events that are happening in Texas. So it's a great website aside from that. And it also features, of course, the Lone Star Plate podcast that it produces. Um, we've also got some other features as well, like Food for Thought, Fresh from the Kitchen, Tasting Texas, the Texas Mom Blog, Real Food, Promptuary, a lot of great resources about Texas, all things Texas, focusing on Texas farmers and ranches and, you know, real food, y'all. Okay, so anyway, please go to TexasRealFood.com right now and begin your Texas journey for great food. All right, back to the show. All right, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for sticking with us. I know, look, this is you're going to be in for a long one if you're, if you're here to listen to the whole thing. Um, feel free to jump around. Or again, watch on YouTube for the clips. Speaking of YouTube, if you're watching this on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. That would be great. That really helps us out. And Or just hit a like button, leave a comment, tell us, you know, your favorite Bob Schneider song, your favorite uh, How Did I Get Here podcast episode. I don't know. Let us know. Anyway, follow us on social media as well. Look, we're on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, TikTok. We just started an account there. So we got other content out there. Please, um, you know, check us out. Follow us if you like. So anyway, let's get to the show. Bob Schneider and Johnny Gowdy, amazing show. Absolutely had a blast. Again, epic podcast. Stay tuned. All right. Enjoy, guys. Did you see that Beatles thing? Oh, yeah, dude. I and loved it. I you loved did? It. Yeah, I did, especially. I just like seeing the raw yeah. format of them putting music together and writing the songs and how everyone, they had no problem with anybody sticking their nose in for a lyric or do they, that you know, just really other guys, weird, yeah. right? I was like, yeah. what? I never, yeah. <laughs> That's when Mal so Evans weird. Is like, it starts like when their tour manager is like, hey, you should say this. And he's like, yeah, oh yeah. yeah, that's a good one. You're like, I kind of like that. I kind of yeah. respected that he just, whatever moved the song forward. They didn't care where it came from in a way. And seeing how Paul McCartney was, he was very, um, yeah. you know, you could see he's really the leader of, you know, making sure they stay on track, getting these songs, and he's the seed of a lot of it. And John right. Lennon's got that sauce, and uh, you know, bringing his own thing. And honestly, I, the Yoko thing—it sort of opened that up a little bit more, as far as like what I thought it was wasn't as bad as what I thought it was. I mean, mm -mm. yes, it looks a little awkward just having her sit there. Maybe some people wouldn't like that, but the way they were just like, you know, whatever gets him creatively going, who cares? Right. I mean, George exactly. Harrison had some friends in the back, right? Um, the Hare Krishna <laughs> friends. You see those guys just sitting there randomly? That was my favorite fucking <laughs> right? thing. They would just pan to these guys over here, like, <laughs> just, just sitting, sitting there. there. Yeah, <laughs> just like Indian style, just like sitting. I was like, okay, they're just chilling. Yeah. No the problem. amount of like, yeah, the, like the, the, a lot of questions were answered for me, like, oh, they didn't have a manager and they decided that they could deal with it all. So in the middle of like trying to make a record, they'd have to go talk to like some business dude for like two and a half hours and then come back and like try like it just seemed disaster. And nobody yeah. just nobody was in control of anything. Totally. <laughs> totally. I and think they, just, they talked about that, right? Like they don't have oh, yeah. like somebody to whatever yeah. their manager yeah, was, had passed away. Yeah, they were just kind of a mess. Yeah, yeah, they were. They were just kind of a mess. And it's just and not who I thought John Lennon was. It's just not who I thought Paul McCartney. It's just not who I thought any of them were, you know, really. John Lennon reminded me of like what Robin Williams was like in the 70s. Like totally. he was so just weird. Yes, yes. He was so off the wall. Just not what I picked, you know. And yeah. them talking about their trip to India, I thought was fascinating too, because mm -hmm. everyone had this idea of them getting into it. But really, they were like, that so wasn't us. It looked awkward. Didn't right. feel like us. Right. That, I thought that was another revelation, too, uh, for people who are really kind of, I don't know, because uh, th I think that was a big part of their image and how they went there. But really, they didn't like it either. They weren't really, yeah. you know, that, that into it either. And what effect that had on them musically. They just wanted to get back to playing. And honestly, I think they would have kept playing had John Lennon not got assassinated. I think they would have. Got eventually together. played together yeah, yeah absolutely they were talking about it they were talking about it they were going to play 
no problem. It wasn't as bad as they made it out to seem no. between them. You know what I no. mean? It was like, no. oh, they're actually not that. This right. isn't, you know, Motley Crue here. Right. You well, know. that even showed in the thing, because like when George quit and he came back, they're reading that newspaper where it's like John Lennon punched him in the face. And yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. totally. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I want to talk to your listeners. Your listeners need to know if, if, if they're not hip to this guy. I can't remember his actual last name, but Alexis, there's a guy that they refer to in the movie all the time, like Alex. He's the guy that made that guitar with where the neck goes all the way around. That's the craziest <laughs> thing I ever saw that thing. So in the so Beatles, clever. in the story of the Beatles, that dude, Magic Alex, was like Rasputin or something. Like they hired him and he like that Apple studio that they go into, he was supposed to make the walls all be one giant microphone. And like uh there's even a scene in the first one where they're talking about uh, George Martin comes in and he's like, so we're going to get a board in here and stuff. And uh, and George Harrison goes, oh, Alex is building one. Yes. And uh, and he's bringing it in. And George Martin's response is, oh, that's great. Well, why don't we also get one that we know is going to work? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was I was talking to, to Darren Murphy uh, the other day at one at our show and I was like, man, the control room. At the Apple thing is so small, like why it was tiny. I, you couldn't even mix yeah. in there. It was so yeah. weird. Yeah. And I was like, why was it like that? And he goes, Magic Alex designed it. <laughs> Probably just threw it all together. I mean, you you yeah. see the amount of cables and cords and everything they had to come up with. And then they were like, Well, let's let's hang them up here. Let's do this. I think they just like logistically came up with ideas that became, you know. Yeah. Just something that got used in the industry just out of pure necessity, you yeah. know, uh, of their space. Um, yeah. And now it's like the space to. Is that place still open to go record at? Right. Isn't it? Not Apple, but Abbey Road is. Abbey Road is. Okay. Yeah. The one that they normally worked at. Yeah. Okay. So Apple, they just use that studio for, for that record. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Bob, um, you know, I was going to ask you, Johnny and I were talking about the Beatles documentary, man. What is your what's your take on that? Did you watch it yet or any any anything of it? I watched it. I loved I loved it. Um, it was amazing. Like, I'm sure you guys felt the same way, like watching them like craft those songs. Yeah. So satisfying. Um, I mean, they just looked so beatly they were so beatly you know what i mean yeah. they were like yeah, yeah. the beatliest of the beat of you know when they were the beatles yeah the uh the scene at the end when they're just finished the rooftop set and they're like this is the last time the beatles ever played together made me cry yeah, yeah. so sad. sad yeah they were such a i i think the the thing that i came away with that i didn't realize was how great they were as an ensemble group, yeah. like as a live playing together group. I had, yeah. didn't have any idea of how much of what they sound like and who they were and what their music is, how much of it had to do with the fact that they played together the way they did. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was like, ah, oh, you know, it's John and Paul and they're just layering everything and doing everything. But no, it was, it was the whole band playing together and just, that and then also just their they just never stopped trying to improve the songs like at every step of yeah. that nine hours i was like if it would have been me i'd, I'd be like we're, we're good done. we got we got the song <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. they would just keep going and then oh we're good no <laughs> keep going we're good and then you know what i mean they just yeah. didn't didn't stop yeah. like tom brady <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. Or you know That's what I mean? That's an interesting like, take. Yeah, like guys who just like I've always been. I've always done the very least. I'm always like, if I'm working hard, I'm not winning. <laughs> right, you know what I mean? right, like, right, right. I feel like if I'm working hard, then I like to me. It's like I should be able to write a song in 30 minutes and then go play it and make money, and then I win the game. If I work 
12 hours on something, I didn't right. win. Right, right. What do you need to know that a song is done to move on? Just when it's barely, you know, when it, when it, it's like a, if you're building a ship, if you put it out there and it's floating, fine, you're good to go. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? With a song, it's like, okay, it's done as soon as there's the last, you know, I do the very least I can possibly do. So you don't ever come back to stuff and just keep on chipping away at it? Never. That's I mean, when I go, when I go into the studio, sometimes we'll spend a little bit of time trying to get something in the studio, but even that doesn't really, even then we're not doing much. It's mostly the guys kind of doing their own thing. Right. And even then, I don't, I don't know how much it, I don't, I don't know how much it helps, but again, I'm I'm not Bruce Springsteen or Pink Floyd or the Beatles either. I mean, those guys seem to have spent a lot of time working on their material and crafting it in a way that I've never done. So. It's almost like they never want to finish it. You know, like they just want to perpetually Dude, work on. They're the writing a whole record in like three weeks. That's crazy, right? To do is that a and crazy the guy quits idea? in the middle of it, like yeah. <laughs> It also, say, it also seemed like that that happened often, though, right? Because they were like, oh, well, how, how long do, do people stay out when they say this, right? Because there was a part in the documentary when they said that. So it made me think, oh, they probably get up and walk off a lot. You know? I'll tell you the other thing I came away with watching that, because then I went back and I listened to Let It Be and listened to Abbey Road, which obviously they were... Abbey Road came out right after that. Right. After they filmed it. And you realized, oh, you know, right after this doc, when the camera shut off, then the real creativity started because they finished all those songs that were half-baked and obviously wrote some some of the best songs on Abbey Road after, like, Come Together. You never really heard that during the doc. No. And uh, But also, I think that also had a lot to do with John Lennon getting really into heroin which is a great songwriting drug and all my favorite albums were written by people on heroin oh, wow. and so you, I, I think a lot of that came across and then you realize oh let it be was just the stuff that didn't make it on abbey road kind of yeah <laughs> that's crazy that's that's kind of yeah. crazy bob what did you think of like um johnny and i were talking about like how odd it was that like everyone was putting in their feedback for the song. It almost seemed like anybody could walk up and be like, hey, try this lyric or go to here. It seemed like everyone had input on writing the song. I don't know how you felt about that or like, you know, that's a no-go for you when you're writing music or. I don't know if everybody did. I mean, John, uh, Glennis, what was the name? The, who's the Glenn producer? Johns. Glenn Johns had some, because he had just done that Led Zeppelin record. I think they respected him. They probably were listening to that record and, and like thinking, oh, this guy's a great producer. So he had okay. some input. No, in the thing they asked, uh, I, I don't think they all had heard it. He was, the, he was one of the, the thing is, is like before I ever saw that documentary and like being like a freaky Beatles dude my whole life, I, uh, I knew he worked on that record. I just didn't realize like it wasn't until like he walks up to Paul when he's doing Let It Be and he's like, hey, why don't you go uh, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit. And then you watch the movie and you're like, he was he was the guy like they even introduced George Martin as their A&R guy. Right. Right. Which is kind of weird. Well, I, I'm sure he wasn't in there by mistake. I no. mean, they. I mean, I, I don't know. The the Beatles, it, the other thing that you take away from that documentary is how immersed they were in music. I mean, they just knew all this material, obviously a lot of it from their Hamburg days, but you could just tell these guys were listening to a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. They, they had to have listened to that Led Zeppelin because when you listen to Abbey Road, there's Led Zeppelin all over that record. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like in, that, in that in the documentary, one of them says, have you heard the new Jimmy Page record? And I think they're talking about Led Zeppelin. For sure. Yeah, yeah. And like that, uh, <laughs> She's So Heavy, that sounds yeah. like Led Zeppelin. There's a bunch of stuff that like, oh, they were definitely checking that out. Are you a Led Zeppelin guy? No, never have been. Me neither. I like their later stuff, but I, I'm not. I like Black Sabbath a lot more. I watched that documentary on Led Zeppelin and, or, or just the documentary on Led Zeppelin four mm -hmm. and then went and listened to that record. And I was like, wow, this is a, 
pretty great. There's three great songs on this record, but I've always been a lyric guy, and lyrically, it's really not. Oh, it's terrible. Good. Yeah. It's either wizardy or just dumb kind of blues lyrics. Yeah, or just straight up like, hey there, mama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got to fill stuff, <laughs> fill, fill the void. Like, yeah. Oh, I just have to be hot and know how to sing and just yeah. let you see my fucking upper dick hair, and then I guess I'm good to go. <laughs> the three guys but, playing, you work with Jack Joseph Quigg, right? Yeah. He, uh, he used to go on these long things about them and made me listen to them in a different way where he was basically focusing on on the three guys playing and he was like it's it's just so unbelievable what they're doing together as a unit at the same time that it's undeniable oh with that i agree with that yeah well and and uh robert plant is one of the greatest singers of all time i my current and ex-wife are huge robert plant fans and so when he was playing at ACL, um, my ex-wife, Corey, made me go see him. And I'm like, I don't want to go fucking see Robert Plant. He was amazing. Wow. His charisma and his singing and his, just his command of the stage was undeniable. I was like, oh, this dude is the fucking apex predator. This guy is the <laughs> yeah. dude. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just I mean, and again, I'm just stuck on lyrics but if most people aren't most people don't give a fuck about lyrics yeah Yeah, did you ever meet him when he lived here i got invited to a party uh at patty's place and i wanted to meet him so bad actually i was supposed to leave town early to go play a show and i canceled the ticket so that i could go the next morning and me and my wife went, and it was a party for her having broken up with him or him breaking up. <laughs> they have parties for that? She did. She did. She did. So I got there, and oh, wow. It was like, oh, don't know, don't know. But it was oh. nice. I saw some friends and saw <laughs> Patty, and it was nice. She's, she's great. Food was nice. But yeah, I was hoping, I mean, my wife especially was hoping to meet him. We were at the Awesome Music Awards when he was there, and and we ran into him, like in the hallway, and you know, but we didn't speak to him. Oh man, yeah. what about like Paul? Have you ever met Paul McCartney or? Dude, I haven't Ringo? met anybody. I, I haven't met anybody, and if I saw somebody, I'm not going up and talking to anybody. I'm so shy when yeah. it comes to like cold talking to someone or. I get it. What What do anything. you say? Right? Yeah. What do you say? Uh, uh, yeah, I don't even know how to start how that. Either. Yeah, I know guys who are really good at that kind of thing. I've never been good at that. No, I can't do that either. I would be too. I'm yeah. I'm good at it say. unless unless I'm a crazy fan. Like uh, Cheap Trick, <laughs> like 20 years ago, did three nights uh, here. Like they did their first three records, like an album a night. And at that time, I was on Lars Ulrich's label, and he was in the process of courting them to sign them. So I got to go. And I had backstage passes and just wouldn't go back there because I didn't know what would happen to me if I was face to face with Robin Zander. Yeah. Talk about yeah. smoking big D's. Dude, I went to a I went to a yeah. show. <laughs> I went to a show at the Hollywood Bowl and was in one of those like little private they have those little private boxes that fit four people. And I was yeah. there with the date. And we went and saw Radiohead. And in the box was who's the guitar player for Jane's Addiction? Oh, Dave Navarro. Dave Navarro, Dave and Navarro. and who who was the chick that he was? Carmen. Uh, Carmen Electra. Carmen it was Electra. him and Carmen Electra. And I'm a huge Jane's Addiction fan. Loved and and one of the best concerts I've ever seen was Jane's Addiction at Palmer Auditorium here in like '89 or something. It was just really one of the most electric, incredible shows I've ever seen. And we're watching Radiohead, and we 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 said hi to them when we. Saw him in the box, just high. That was it. Never, and I'm standing next to him for hours. Never said another word to him. And the whole time I'm watching the Radiohead show, which was fantastic. I just wanted to tell him, hey, this is a great show, but my favorite show was the one that you did in Austin back. I never said it. Never said a word to him and left without ever even saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> that I and and I thought about it the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow. And then you think it's going to like, it's going to, uh, whatever the opposite of ingratiate you to that person is going to repel them from you. If you tell them that they're awesome at what they do, you know what I mean? If somebody, if I'm going to be in a booth with somebody and I realize early on that there's like some kind of super fan or something, it would make me really uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you never know. What's he doing behind me? Right. You're just constantly looking over your shoulder. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I I saw Wayne Coyne one time at a shoe store in Oklahoma City. I'm a huge Flaming Lips fan. And I just kind of like it was a it was a shoe store and a clothing store, but it was tiny. It was like one room, and he was in there with his ex wife. And I just wanted to same you know same thing say hey you know I'm just a huge fan, and I just you know just to meet him. Yeah. And I never said a word, and I was just kind of like like obviously I, I was shopping in there, but I was at that point I was pretending to shop and kind of looking <laughs> at him, yeah. like through the clothes, and never said a word to him. That's and just funny. felt weird. <laughs> I would love to see the CCTV footage of the, of Bob just pretending to shop, looking through the clothes. <laughs> I mean, I just, I don't know how to, I don't know how to talk. Yeah. You know, I don't know how what that is. I don't know how to talk to people that I don't know. Yeah, I, definitely a little awkward just to walk up to somebody randomly. I don't think I've ever done that uh, at a place. When I used to like wait tables and bartend and stuff you would meet a lot of people and sometimes at the very end i would say something hey love you're this or whatever something nice i don't know it, se- it seemed okay because i built a relationship not a relationship but you know you've been waiting on them for an hour and a half or something you know with all their friends you know they at least know your name a little bit doesn't feel as awkward uh that when i met val kilmer that that was that's probably one of the most awkward experience I ever had Cause I was so, I've never been starstruck, but I tell that story all the time. Val Kilmer, like I couldn't even like pick up my, I, I just like Val Kilmer. I, I couldn't hear anything he was saying to me. I just, all I could picture was tombstone just literally right in front of me. Um, we were on tour with the ugly Americans back in the nineties and we're at some diner and Val Kilmer was in this diner. <laughs> and I think Sean, you know, Sean spooky tooth McCarthy, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think he actually went up and talked to him. Wow. Like Sean's not afraid of talking to him. He'll talk to anybody. Yeah. That's he's a like good a quality. He's a psychopath. <laughs> he's, he's kind of a sociopath. <laughs> I don't think it's but a that, problem yeah. unless the person says, can you stop talking to me? And you don't. Right. That's I, I think where the problem begins. I don't have a problem. Like there've been like, and you know, like a uh, uh, skyrocket did these shows for that were uh, raising money for the, uh, uh, I can't remember some park, Madison Square Park in New York, and uh, those hill country barbecue people up there uh, had us play this event. And I guess a lot of famous people live on there. But Lester Holt from the NBC Nightly News was on there. Random. And he was there, and he was at the show, and he was like dancing and and like singing along. And so, like right when we got done, I walked up to him and I was like, "Hey." Man, I really trust you because <laughs> he gives you the news. Like, you know, it was, it was like I couldn't think of anything to say except like I like that guy and I do trust him when he's telling me shit that I'm supposed to know. Yeah. And so then we ended up talking. And like the next year, he took all of us, him and his wife took all of us out for drinks after our show. It was oh, really wow. awesome. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Create an opportunity. So the, thing that you want, the thing that you really want to happen, which is you really want to have a connection with the person Become friends with them and then yeah. ha- like live happily ever after. Right, right, right. That's right. That never <laughs> and that's the reason you're nervous because it's like, right. how, how do I make that happen? Yeah. And of course you can't make that happen. No. And no. so that's why you get, or for me at least, that's why I get like, oh shit, this is an un, it's like an equation that I don't know how to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just stay, I usually stay out of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's the best, uh. That, that's the best way. What, what about like autograph? I guess it's sort of the same thing with autographs, right? Like you guys aren't asking for autographs from people or you do or for somebody else. I don't think I've ever asked anyone for an autograph. I've never asked for an autograph. I've never asked for a picture with someone. Wow. I have. Joan Rivers was in a hotel lobby I was in. Joan Rivers. Yeah. I would yeah. Have a and I couldn't help too. it. Yeah. Well, again, it's because... 
I feel like if I ask for a picture, then the thing that I want to happen, which is this deep friendship that lasts, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's not going to happen. And I think if you give up on that, if you give up on the deep friendship that lasts forever, then you can't <laughs> talk to anybody or ask a picture. Hey, it's really me point. just, it's just me being insane. <laughs> stopping me from doing any of that. I think that sounds pretty rational. You're just afraid of the, you know, or, or just don't even want to bother people. You know, they're doing their thing, you know, I don't want to bother somebody if they're grocery shopping or go up and yeah. yeah, I've definitely never gotten a picture. I've taken pictures with people like Bob, when I went to your show and we were hanging out backstage with you with my brother, I got a picture. It's my brother's birthday. That's nice. It makes him, you know. Yeah. Like, but that's, like, that's a lot different. I mean, yeah, I'm not I'm, walking up to somebody at the grocery. Oh, is that so-and-so? Hey, can I get, you know, he's trying to buy chicken nuggets. I'm like, Hey, can I get a quick picture with you? That I could never do. Well, I, there's, I, yeah, I mean, that there's certain, like weird. Val Kilmer, you got to figure how many times a day is this motherfucker being Absolutely. You know, bothered? And yes. it's like, you don't want to. He could feel me staring at him. And that was the most oh, awkward. Yeah. I, I was like, Patrick, stop it. What's wrong with you? And I was, I was going up, speaking of like fake shopping, I was going up to the bar to make drinks for nobody. I was mm. just like shaking for nothing. And I just like, that's Val Kilmer over there. I cannot believe Val Kilmer is sitting right over. I just couldn't let that go. Um, for some weird, I don't know why. He's, who is, who's the grizzled old guy, the actor? I got, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but he's been in every movie. Dude, I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say, who's the grizzled old guy on this Zoom call? People are talking about me. That's the way my brain works. When you started that, I was like, telling me that I look old in the Santa fucking hat. God damn it, Johnny. You motherfucker. <laughs> you got the big beard going. Is that the plan? Are you are you are you getting ready for cosplay uh Santa Bob? Is that what's gonna happen? Man, I've been gaining so much fucking weight lately. I've been telling everybody that I'm playing young Santa in some city theater <laughs> production of Claws the Younger Years. What's but, going on? Are you eating a bunch? Yeah. I love Johnny's I'm eating all the time, dude. That's, I eat all the time. Johnny's like, let's get to the bottom of this. Are you eating a lot? Well, I am I love too. The, I, just I love the question. This, I, I just went great. through this breakup, and 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 like, I've got a. I ordered Dominoes last night. Yeah, but you I look, ordered Dominoes like a fifty-three-year-old me. Yeah, you do. You look Domino's. great, Johnny. You, Bob, you look thank great you. too. No, I don't. But you look fantastic, Johnny. You really do. You got a tan oh, going you. too. I'm a little jealous, right? Look at this but, tan. But it hair. makes sense. You're you're in a breakup. Of course, you're the breakup diet. Good, yeah, the breakup. You're, you're, diet. Yeah, you're 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 yeah. well groomed. You're, you're put together. That's what I need. I need to get, if I trust me, dude. <laughs> look at look me up six months after my divorce, and you'll be you'll be seeing me looking as good as I possibly can. The divorce diet. Uh, my friend just is get. He's in the middle of a divorce, and we've talked about that. He said he lost seventy pounds in three months. Oh yeah. You know, I was like, well, what did you do? He's like, I just I didn't eat. He's like, I didn't eat. You know, and I drank beer every day, and I didn't eat. I was like, well. That's that's the diet. That's cried. the divorce diet. I yeah, cried out seventy pounds. <laughs> I cried. Yeah. I cried. Exactly. Cried. Drank beer and just didn't eat. And well, I guess there's a way to 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 do that. Um, I, you know, I, this is you know, bring it bringing it back to the Beatles thing real quick, Bob. I wanted to get your thought on the because I asked Johnny too what he felt of like Yoko being there and just kind of would that you know would that would you ever mind if a band you know, May yeah. brings in like his girlfriend to sit literally right next and be a part of the whole process the entire time. Cause they had no problem with it. And I used to think before that, that they did have a problem, but watching that documentary, I realized they, I guess they kind of had some issues, but in the end, they, whatever, whatever he needed to be creative. I thought that was, I don't know. Well, she never said a word. So, right. I mean, it wasn't like she was getting in the way or bothering it. Yeah. I mean, I, I I kept watching her going, man, I never realized how beautiful she was. And then after nine hours, I was like, oh, it's because she never said a word. <laughs> <laughs> what makes people more attractive <coughs> than silence? Jesus yeah. Christ, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. But that's, that's the other, well, the other thing about the Beatles documentary that that comes across, I think, is just how, just even John, 
who was the most vitriolic of the bunch. They were just so nice. Even John, who was a little bit acerbic, yeah, was nice. Like yeah. the root of him, and, and Paul was going out of his way to be diplomatic all the time. And Ringo just was like awesome. yeah. as nice as anybody you could possibly imagine. And he, George Harris, they were just lovely, yeah, yeah, people. Yeah, and I've been, you know, you're in band situation, and sure they're being filmed, so. There's that, but after a while, you kind of forget you're being filmed. Yeah, and you know, they uh, they were just yeah. proper we, people, proper and, manners, right? They it, just had like yeah, manners, good, just good, good, good people. Yeah, they were yeah. drinking tea and just I don't oh. know. It just felt very British, you know. That's what we we're talking about too, Johnny. Right? Like I was, you know, I was saying like it wasn't like Montley Crew, like watching them. Right. And it seemed right. like they're really just goofy dudes writing songs, ha trying to make each other laugh and just live in and, the moment and tell jokes and right, in like the, in their twenties and the biggest band of all time. Uh, yes. Could you imagine the practice session for fucking Motley Crue or Skid Row or any of these? Fucking oh God, yeah. <laughs> totally. Or yeah. fucking Van Halen just. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that was just gross. Just gross. yeah, and, these and there guys, was. Just sweet. Yeah. There was a really, there was a really tiny thing that showed sort of their connection and and just how much they loved each other. Is there's a point where Paul McCartney's talking to Michael Lindsay Hogg and and Lindsay Hogg's like, oh, let's go to Libya and do it in Tripoli at this, you know, whatever. And Paul's like, oh, no, that's out of the question. Ringo doesn't want to do that. Right. Yeah. There was like no, no question. No question. Like. My guy doesn't want to do it, so we're not doing it. Yeah, right. how tight they were. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Also, yeah, Ringo, know. dude, like that guy, he he is amazing. And like he's amazing. He's amazing. Yeah. I, I didn't understand how good he was. Yeah. No. He's a he's amazing. And he's just amazing. And he's just like, as soon as they as soon as Paul gives him some note, it's yeah. there. And it, yeah. his feel is just so he makes everything feel so good. I, I, I agree. I just yeah. did not know that. I just thought it was mostly Paul McCartney, a little bit of John, and that's, that's not it. what it was. Yeah. yeah. It was Absolutely. a four-piece band. Did <laughs> you guys remember when he got inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Like, the last thing he said was, like, you know, the way you got to keep a band together is just always be the guy that admits that he farted in the van. <laughs> and, and there's there's that scene where he's yeah. sitting with George Martin and he goes, I've farted. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Just own it. You just own it. Yeah. Also, too, like just George Harrison's um, you know, his addition to the band and what he meant and like his feelings about wanting to get out more of his music and you know more of his creative side of things. I thought that was interesting uh, as well. You know, like you said, Bob, he was, they, they were more of a four piece band than just Paul and, and John. Well, I've oh, never yeah. been, a, I've never been a George Harrison fan. I, again, lyrically, the least interesting songs, even less interesting than Ringo's stuff. is yeah. George Harrison. <laughs> but having, having said that, having, I mean, Octopus's Garden. I was like, it was cool seeing him come in with that idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Then when I actually listened to the song, I'm like, it's so weird. It's not. Yeah, that great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it is, it is such an iconic song that, I mean, it, but I, yeah, that, I don't know. I'm not gonna. Were you raised on that stuff, like as a kid? <laughs> like my mom was young and my aunts were young, and so that's what my life oh, yeah. was. I, I listen. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I just thought the Beatles were this like Mozart, like it's yeah. just something that's in the world. And it was only until when I saw this thing on network television, they had a Paul McCartney concert, and that was the first time that I realized, oh, these songs were written by a guy just like me, a, a real human being who wrote right. these songs and played them. And then I got I got to see him at the Irwin Center. And of course, it's you know it's in the top three concerts that I've ever seen. I mean, the last hour of that concert, I was most of the time crying because yeah. of the love in the room. Wow. Just 
all these people that have this shared experience of and this connection to this music and being able to experience it with the person that created it as he's creating it in the moment. And it yeah. was just so beautiful. And uh, yeah, but, but yeah, so I, yeah, I grew up with it, but again, it was this thing that was like, it, you know what I mean? It was like a computer or like, you know, like what am I going to open up a computer and fucking, fucking rewire some shit you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. Or like yeah, what, yeah. i'm gonna go i'm gonna yeah. fly a plane yeah yeah no you know what i mean yeah or am i gonna operate on my grandma am i gonna take out her kidney and then sew her back up no yeah yeah it can't do any of that shit but then you see paul mccartney and you're like oh no this is yeah he wrote that he wrote live and let die or whatever that fucking yeah song. Now, how how crazy talented is Paul McCartney, though? Crazy. He has to be like the best songwriter, or at least written the most. I don't know best songs. I I I I don't know. He's written the most best songs. Is that? No, I mean he's he's like he's like a. I mean he's you know. I don't even know how to describe it. I don't. I don't think he wrote the best songs on Abbey Road. I think those belong to John Lennon personally, but or even George Harrison. I mean, that "Here Comes the Sun" is something. It's really beautiful. amazing. Beautiful. Yeah. Who wrote something? George. Be a, a beautiful song. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Song. Maybe one of the maybe the best song on the record. So yeah, yeah I, I don't think he wrote the best songs on that record, but in fact, some of it like. What is it? You never give me yeah. money. It starts off so good, and then it just turns into this weird wank fest. Right, right. And it's just sort of like Paul McCartney showing off what he can do, and it's like, uh, it, uh, it's amazing. Uh, I don't to know. me, it's like he had a bunch of unfinished song ideas and found a way to put them all together and have a song. <laughs> yeah. But then, how about Her Majesty at the very yeah. end? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, dude! Don't even give me that record. Yeah. I yeah, I've just been listening to it, kind of over and over for the last week. All from the Beatles documentary. It's just gotten you, yeah, got yeah, me, yeah. got me back in. And listen to "Let It Be" once, and yeah, it's not a great record. Go didn't go back. Oh, Do wow. you? Uh, I like like the long and winding road a lot. Oh, I think that's love great. love that song. Yeah, and yeah, that's a song. Uh, I love. Uh, I love George's song, I Me Mine, a lot. Not my favorite. I mean, I like Let It Be, too. Yeah. You can't fuck with that. I love Let It Be. Yeah, absolutely. I'm easy to please when it comes to songs, to be honest. How about about when when George brings in I Me Mine, and John's like, you know we're in a rock and roll band, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's like so bitchy. Spit. Yeah. Oh. Oh, I guess, I guess that's where that sort of that bridge of that song where it rocks out. That's probably what they what why they added that. Yeah, yeah, probably. That's interesting. Is is he kind of just like the odd one of the band? Is that kind of just like? Well, he was the youngest, so yeah. I'm sure that had something to do with it. Oh, but was those, he? Oh, I didn't those know dynamics that. get set, you know. Yeah. Early on. But he also, I mean. To his credit, I mean, he was, he just wasn't as, he just wasn't, his songwriting was a few years behind Paul and John. He didn't really come into his own until right around the time they broke up. I, yeah, I, I disagree. I think on the first record, he has the coolest song on what's their the, very first the record. Don't Bother Me. I don't even know what It's like all minor and like, it's pretty cool. He said that like he, you know, he would have had to put work on like 12 Beatles albums just to get all the songs out that he had written in 1965. You know, his thing was like, I got to break free and and get this going. And um, I guess that happens a lot. Right. In in bands that people want to they've got all this creative output of all these music. But he also said the difference was, is that Lennon that, you know, Paul and, and John would write together. and They were sort of like a team and they helped build off each other where he's like, I write alone. And it just, I guess, takes me longer. 
which I thought thought was interesting um, to not have a writing partner like that. I don't know. Is that Bob? Have you ever gone through a phase? Johnny, have you ever gone through a phase like that where you just always writing with somebody? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you, you I, I was that in a band too, like with two, um, in my band Gaudi, we wrote a lot together. Like we started writing a lot together. Like someone, everyone played like our drummer who played with Bob as well. Uh, Bill Leffler was a really great guitar player and really creative and always came up with awesome places to start on a song, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and, but I was in a band with like two singers, uh, this band, Mr. Rocket Baby. And, and there was a lot of stuff going, like a lot of the conversations in that, in that, uh, in that movie about one guy feeling marginalized and somebody not really noticing it. I, I was recognizing myself in the person that marginalizes the other person. You know what I mean? Like, Great I feel search. like in that, in that band, I was like, well, yeah, you write songs too, but I'm the genius. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like I didn't, I didn't realize at the point at that time that I was coming off that way. But when I watched that movie, I was like, Oh God, I must've been so. That must've what been if you're right. shitty to be the other guy. But what if you're yeah. right? What if you are the genius putting out? Well, what's really funny is stuff. a few years ago when uh, when 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 that band got back together and I had to learn those songs, the only songs I liked on the album were the other dude's songs. <laughs> <laughs> That's the honest to God truth. But when the album came out, I just dismissed them as like, well, he's got to sing a couple songs on the album so he doesn't, you know, get mad. Sure. Or whatever. Yeah. He was your George Harrison. I don't I, I would I don't want to say anything like that out loud because it just sounds mean. But, sure. But, he, but he, everyone listening I mean, Bob, and watching knows band. what we're you talking, know what I'm about. talking about. I mean, I saw the band. I just thought you were I always just assumed that you were the leader of the band and you called all the shots. I didn't realize that it was uh, that it was a democracy like that. Well, to me, the healthiest situation to have like an actual band band is to have that like everyone can say what they want but like it goes like there's got to be one person that kind of like says yay or nay you know got one head chef in my world it's one head exactly. chef yeah you know one vision yeah, I, the band i was in i was in a couple bands joe rockhead and ugly americans and both of those were straight sort of democracies and uh i did not like that dynamic <laughs> but i was too insecure to start my own thing until until right. i finally did started you know playing as bob schneider but and I wasn't it bill leffler that was encouraging you at that time uh he was encouraging me to <laughs> laugh, laugh at his insults <laughs> no, I, 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 bill leffler is like one of the funniest guys of all time i don't know i don't remember him ever doing that but i I, what happened was I was in, so I was in Joe Rockhead, which was like Chili Peppers. And then I yeah. was in Ugly Americans, which was sort of like the Almond Brothers, but I was drinking through both of those bands and I was just not, I didn't have a ton of input in, in, in those bands, but then I got sober in 95 and I started a band called the Scabs, which is more what I wanted to do, which was more avant-garde kind of every kind of all over the place in terms of what we played. And then that eventually became just sort of a party band because we realized, well, we can fill up clubs if we just play dance music with hot strippers and sorority chicks and waitresses, which is what we ended up doing. And then, of course, if you fill up a club with those types of people, then guys are going to come. Absolutely. And uh, But then I wrote a song called 2002, and I would play it. I would play it at a scab show and the, it would shut the party down. So I was like, well, I have to figure out a way, a place where I can play this. And so then I started playing, uh, a, a, as lonely land at Saxon pub. Eventually I, after but those you, I remember going to see you, uh, at, uh, at Stubbs. Did you start it there? I started, I started at Stubbs. We played there for two months. Couldn't get anybody to come out. Then we moved to steamboat for two months. Couldn't get anybody to come. And then I, I was just like, well, that's it. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to play, obviously can't do solo. Nobody wants to see it. And then I went and saw the resentments at Saxon pub 
And I was like, this might be the place where I can play this sort of solo mellow music. And, and then I started playing there on Mondays and then that kind of caught on. Who at that, at oh. the, uh, was, it was Bruton at, at the Stubbs thing and Bill was playing drums and Boyle was playing keyboards. No. So the original lineup was Bill Leffler on drums, Troy Dillinger on guitar and this guy, um, who's and i can't think of his name he was playing lap steel and bass harmonica and then i added bruce i guess started playing bass and then we moved to steamboat bill was still playing and i made the mistake of giving bill a mic and basically the entire show he would just make fun of me and it was really funny like but i was like dude you got to stop making fun of me it's it hurts my feelings that you're like hurting me the whole time you were playing and so uh so eventually he decided to quit i think to be in johnny's band gowdy and uh i was not unhappy to see him go i was just saying that i think didn't bill leffler Stop, he stopped doing Lonely Land so he could do Gowdy full-time, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, and I was I was saying, because he was just making fun of me the entire time on stage, <laughs> I, I really wasn't unhappy to see him go. Yeah. I mean, who like, wants he that? Me, he's like, hey, man, I got some really bad news. I, I, we're about to go on tour, and I'm not going to be able to play with you anymore. Thank fucking God. Like, what would he say to you? Like, what, what kind of stuff was he saying? Hey, dude, he's so funny. He's he is one so of the funny. funniest guys I've ever met, but his all of his humor is at other people's expense. Really yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and and by that I mean mine. Your, yours. Yeah. <laughs> so after a year of that, I was glad to have it end mercifully. <laughs> um, I want to ask you one more question about the Beatles thing. Did you watch the entire thing or just part of it? No, I watched did. every every second of it. Yeah, I know it's some not, people it, would just watch parts of it. It got it got long. I mean, they could have cut out a lot of that when they're doing covers. That felt like karaoke to me. I skipped through a lot of that. Not gonna lie. Yeah, it, it was just like really another yeah. Elvis song, another Chuck Berry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I skipped through a lot of that. I just really wanted to see the rawness of them just piecing together creatively everything and just how that process is. Um, and compare it to what I thought it was. And it was nothing like what I thought it was. I thought it was, if you're, I think if you're a young band starting out, I think it's something you should watch and know, like, if you don't know what to do sometimes, you go off of what you think you should do. And that can be detrimental sometimes, I think, to creativity and to art. Um, and if you watch something like that, it can really give you a nice insight into, okay, this is a, this is a great way to, creatively be together. I don't know. For me, I like best idea moves forward. I like that they were willing to just take pieces and all work on it and, you know, go with it. And I don't know. I liked, I like that. So have that, you ever, pretty have you ever, have you ever made out on film? Made out on film? I have actually in a, in some, when I used to try to act, I lived up in Philly. I, I did. It's I made him, horrible. I made him. Yeah, I made a video one time, and I was supposed to make out in the video, and I, I, we practiced a little making out before the video rolled, and that was hot and cool. Yeah. And then when the when the camera was rolling and we tried it, it felt weird, dude. Yeah, it was absolutely. So like, you're just, there's nothing sexy about it. There's yeah. nothing hot about it. You're just like, ooh, what is going on here? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And you can't. It's almost impossible to be creative when you got all these cameras in your face. I mean, the one time that that was going on, like when Paul McCartney's writing Get Back, the camera's kind of from above. Like, you can tell there's no... If they would have had the footage, they would have shown it if there were some guys around. There weren't. There was just one sky camera that was on that he forgot was on or wasn't aware of. And that's why he was writing when he was writing. And then the other time is when he's laying the chords out for Let It Be, but they're discussing something yeah, something somewhere else. else. Yeah. And and they might he might not even have been playing Let It Be. That might have just been audio they had. But the thing that I the thing that's almost impossible to do is to be self-conscious and to create. Like to create, you have to you can't be self-conscious. You have to 
kind of lose yourself and then listen to the weird wispy stuff that's in your head that that's coming out of nowhere and you can't be there can't be a dude with a camera in your face because then you're like worried about how you're looking or what's going on or what that what's what's that guy thinking it disallows you from being creative so when you watch the documentary, you realize, oh, they wrote these songs at home when they were alone, and then they brought them in. Then they were yeah. trying to work on them, but they realized at a certain point, they're like, dude, we can't, this is not working. What works is when we do it either alone or together alone. Yeah. But not not with these people with cameras in their face. It just, it's Absolutely. not good for the creative process. Well, and they were willing to see that and make those adjustments and changes and not just suck it up and deal with right like i guess that that's another good point you bring up is just you know be okay to make those changes creatively for yourself if it's going to give you the output you really need you know don't be afraid to to make those changes because i'm sure there's a lot of bands who would have just gone with that wouldn't have said anything you know would have stuck that out right i mean that's probably the majority i think most bands most bands most bands aren't the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, like I said, most, like, uh, uh, watching it, I would, at any point during the thing, I would have been fine with any of those songs bef- when they were half-baked. That's the way I would have put them out into the world. And I think most people are like that. And they just weren't. I mean, I kind of knew that a while ago. I was like, oh, yeah, these guys must just edit, edit, edit until it's it's this thing that's, you know, they just never stopped until it was excellent. Yeah. And I, I'll stop when it's okay. <laughs> like if I just get, if I get one good lyrical line in a song, I'm like, I'm done. Yeah. I got it. I got that. This, that's the song. Yeah. Once there was a way to get back homeward. All right. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I don't need to do anything else. That song is done. It's interesting the way they did lyrics too, because it wasn't like, well, I wrote this from my store. It came from my heart. You know, it was just like, well, this sounded like when he's trying to come up with Jojo and Arizona and all that, oh, yeah. they're, they're just looking for the words that sound good and go with it and flow. And, you know, I think that's also eye opening to some people who think, well, every song must come from the heart and every word and every, it's like, no, that's yeah. not how all songs come together. You know, I mean, you're, you're going to use your experiences. You're going to use your emotional whatever your emotional base is while you're writing a song is going to sh- come through. But yeah, m- uh, most songs, the most great songs aren't about like what's just going on right now. That's who cares what's going on right now. But yeah, uh, they had that one scene where they're, they're doing this. I want you, I want you so bad. But they were saying, I had a dream. Yeah. I had a dream. Yeah. 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 And again, I'd have been like, that song's done. It's called I Have a Dream. <laughs> but that's not what was on the record. What was on the record was I Want You, which is so good. It's just like they, again, they just, and JoJo, or Get Back. I mean, yeah. Pakistani ran a corner market. They're, they didn't, you know, they kept doing it until they got something that was kind of cool. I think John said it best when he said, just put in cauliflower until you find the right word. Right. It was like, just, just find fillers and we'll figure this out later. You know, the lyrics will, will make sense later. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I know a lot of people, a lot of people do that. I, I tend to, I don't like doing that. I don't like getting, when I'm writing a song, I don't like getting trapped phonetically. I see what you're saying. Cause like, then I'll be like, Oh, I gotta, it's gotta phonetically sound like these, yeah, like these words. Like I'd rather not do anything and then try to come up with the right lyrics instead of trying to make the lyrics fit some ooh or ah or a that I've got sure. in there as a place filler. Is it like you just like have, you know, you're humming the melody. You'll have at least a melody. Sometimes. Right? Yeah. Usually what happens is I'll be writing something. I'll, I'll, I'll write a piece of music and then I'll start singing something to it or writing something to it. Or I'll just come up with a line 
and then I'll just write a bunch of stuff and then I'll take the thing that I've written and then sing over the music. And then as I'm singing it with the words that I've got written out, usually something will happen there. There'll be some magic moment where I'll know like the chorus or what the song is about will appear during that thing. And then once, once you know what the song is, then it's pretty easy to finish it. Like once, yeah. once you know the song is, I want you, I want you. So, oh, okay. That's what it's about. It's about this, that feeling that you have that drug feeling when you meet somebody and the sex is really good or something. So then the rest of it just immediately writes itself pretty quickly. But until that moment, you're struggling figure out you know, what, what this well you is. just you just don't know it's yeah mysterious yeah i guess that's part of part of the mystery right like um you know bob i was gonna ask you too have you ever written songs with i mean i'm sure you've written songs with other people but like have you ever considered like i don't know a whole, whole album of something like that because i know you everything comes you know a lot of your albums come from the song the song uh game right well, like the thing that I, uh, another takeaway from the Beatles, I guess you're going to just call this episode, these motherfuckers talk about the Beatles. <laughs> uh, fuck food. Let's talk about the Beatles. Yeah. Um, yeah. I haven't done a lot of co-writing. I used to be in bands where we would jam and come up with songs. Um, and that was okay. Um, I don't think that music's very good that we came up with doing it that way. Um, the thing that, the thing that the Beatles had was you had John and Paul, both great songwriters kind of wanting to crush each other. And like that, when you really want to crush someone, it really, it's nice. Like it's a really like that. That's really where you come up with your best stuff. Because there's the thing, if you're a man, you have to be the alpha male to procreate and survive as a species. And if you're not the alpha male, then you're, you're not. You're, you're, that's it for you. Your gene line is done. You have no offspring and it's over. And so when you, so in the Beatles, you had that with Paul and John, you had these two guys kind of going at each other, trying to outdo each other and that friction and that you know, uh, that, and also just the other one looking at him going, you gotta be joking. Like when, when Paul McCartney came up with yesterday, I think it was, wasn't, was like bacon and eggs or something Yeah, and eggs or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. And then he just happened to stumble on yesterday and then became the biggest hit ever. And John's like, that song's stupid. It's bacon and eggs. <laughs> you know? It's yeah. not yesterday. He just got lucky motherfucker <laughs> but that i would love to be and i've kind of created that with the song game I've, I've been doing this song game for 20 years with really talented songwriters and ideally when that's working when when people are writing really good songs it brings out that sort of competition in me where i want to write a better song than everybody yeah. else in the group yeah. and it's uh you wouldn't want to do an album like you know, get in a room for two weeks and knock out an album. You, that that wouldn't be something you're interested in. I've 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 had a a couple like on the last record that I put out. I, I there's a co-write I did with Matthew Electrician that I I love that song. Um, and then on my new, the next album coming out, I did a I wrote a record with uh, a song with Billy Harvey that turned out really good. Both songs turned out better having written them with someone else than they would have had I written them by myself. But the thing about co-writing is that it's about the same chance of it being a good song as when you write it yourself, which is almost zero at this point. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Like but, the chance but wasn't just the experience of just being in the, I guess for me, that's what I would want. Just the experience of being in the room and shooting the shit and writing music and, you know, it's almost like the journey is better than the destination. Again, it's like, it's, it's like making out on camera. It's not as cool as you think. Now getting together and jamming with somebody 
or getting together and hanging with somebody, that's like the making out before the cameras roll. And that's, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to hang out with Tom Waits and shoot the shit and, you know, like do a podcast or something. That'd be sure. fun. Sitting in a room with Tom Waits and trying to write a song would be tough. Yeah. I don't know how fun it would be. It would be, I would do it in a second because I'm such a fan and I, I, you know, I would like to just be hanging out with him, whatever that takes. But in terms of, would we be able to write a good song together? Maybe because I'd want to impress him, you know, part, some part of me would really want to shine and I would it, maybe do my best, you know, not pull any punches and really try my hardest to write something nice. But, um, but again, there's no, no guarantee that that's going to happen. You just, yeah. it's like fishing. I know how to fish. I don't know how to catch big fish, uh, but I know how to bait my thing and throw it in the fucking goddamn thing. And, oh, that's another small fish. <laughs> I've caught a lot of small fish and I've caught a few decent sized fish, but I've never caught, you know, I've never caught bridge over trouble waters type fish the lone star play podcast is produced by texas real food go to texasrealfood.com and you can search your city for stores butchers restaurants farmers markets and more who are using fresh artisanal organic sources it's a fun site that brings all natural options all together i hope you enjoyed this episode for more information go to the lone i'm your host patrick scott armstrong until next time 